0: Welcome to another episode of Hammer Time, a property perspective. We set out to hand the microphone over to professionals in the property industry and to understand their perspective on what is happening in their respective areas of expertise. What does the future property landscape look like in Melbourne and is rapid growth and development set to continue its original course after COVID? He may not know the future. But perhaps has access to data that provides some sort of picture for it i speak with victorian property market leader at arab mr phil alexander Pye, who is a key interface between the local property industry and arab's suite of designers and consultants phil we thank you for joining us and appreciate your time the team have been busy what areas have kept you and the team busy during this time and you know, what what do we expect to come in in the weeks ahead
1: Yeah, thanks, Paul. It's a pleasure to join you. Yeah, it's been obviously a turbulent few months and we've seen some areas obviously seeing it pretty tough particularly kind of the areas of retail and anyone involved in aviation or sports projects are seeing a pretty hard time. But in general, we're kind of seeing that markets are holding their own. There's still a lot of projects progressing in in our property industry, particularly in the commercial real estate area. We're seeing some kind of maybe green shoots emerging now as well, some other things moving along, which is uh, good signs. I mean, there are areas within the property industry that have been hit. So we've sort of seen a few... As you've seen in press, there's sort of like a few tenants who may have removed, like kind of pulled out deals or, or landlords maybe deferring projects um, for, to later dates. But in the majority, we feel that there's some kind of positivity there and, and some momentum still, which is, is a good sign. I mean, what's been keeping the team busy? We've got a, a lot of things like data centres and you know building asset refurbishments, new build, commercial, all, all moving along quite nicely at the moment, which is um, good signs, yeah.
0: You're on the, the cusp of you know, the biggest developments to hit this city with recent approvals to Bueller's Green Spine development in South Bank, Texas' 60 Collins Street, and I believe also GPT's uh, 100 Queen Street. Tell us a little bit about those approvals and, and what the symbolism is of those for the growth and, and where it's taking Melbourne City over the coming months and years.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a really positive sign. It was about two or three weeks ago where the local government pushed through four major projects in the CBD, two of which you mentioned there, 60 Collins Street and the Burela Towers. You know, that's real, I guess, uh, shows that that the government really do have this backing for stimulus and and, and trying to overcome some planning hurdles, et cetera, and and move along these major projects. Obviously, construction is a major employer within our state, and so one, they've kept really... Good emphasis on keeping our building sites open during this um, crisis, uh, but also, you know, looking at that future and how we're going to keep the next wave of developments occurring. So we take it as a really positive sign. Yeah, I mean, 60 Collins Street is a premium-grade uh, commercial tower, it's Dexas are bringing to market. It's a really, um, you know, beautiful design by Bates my Architects, and um, it's the top end of Collins Street. So it's, it's really going to um, be the next wave of, of offices for Melbourne, and it's, you know, time to come to market in 2025. Before. And I think this is the key thing of a lot of things that we're seeing moving is that it is still that long-term view. Our property market does work in four to five-year cycles, and, and people who have got major things in play want to see those through at the moment, because obviously they're, they're not they're not aiming to launch these into market right now, they're aiming to launch them in the future. Yeah, Beulah again, uh, it's going to be a fascinating one to watch. It's obviously a, a large-scale mixed-use um, project. It's going to be the tallest building in the Southern Hemisphere when completed. And with that mixed-use component, again, it's going to be very interesting because in this post-COVID world, you know, which elements of that mixed-use are going to underpin the development is the question. And we're all kind of, I guess, wanting to see how that is taken to market by the developer. But it's a a great sign that it has got its approvals and it's moving along.
0: And the designs of those buildings – Phil, have they changed because of this short window that we've had in recent months? Like, are you applying any changes to the architect's design, the finished uh, design product, because COVID has now altered people's perspective and said, we need to do this differently?
1: No, and that's that's a really interesting point, because ultimately, these projects were in, you know, in in play quite some time ago. And although, you know, the, the government has pushed them through the planning process they haven't necessarily reduced or changed their requirements in any way so they're still within the planning schemes you know they're still within all those issues and and discussions that our city has with all developments but they have been moved along Uh, and I think that's the interesting thing at the moment is that I guess the government have launched their Victorian building recovery task force and the idea there is that they're, they're trying to help you know developments along and, and, and remove some hurdles but still within the frameworks so existing planning conditions
0: so as they've done with a couple of these projects they've stepped in and they've fast tracked uh, a couple of these approvals do you expect that they will extrapolate those approvals to other projects pending uh, new applications over the next six months
1: well, I actually attended a uh, industry briefing from the task force, virtually attended, I should say. Um, but uh, it was a great event, and um, basically, their focus is on projects that are already in planning. but um, That's across industry, you know, residential, community, office, etc. And they've actually identified 300 projects across Victoria which could be potentially fast tracked through planning applications. And they reported that at the moment, 45 projects have actually applied for support from the task force to actually. Accelerate them through planning, so that that's really positive that our industry is really gripping this and and taking hold and really taking in responsibility for their own projects and trying to move them through to get them on site as quick as possible. And so that focus is really about what can they get to site and and, and actually start construction in the next twelve months. There was some fascinating Q and A on, on on that event about a kind of you know where how far they're going to go, but right now it's about shovel-ready projects that can get out and get people employed and, and, and kind of actually stimulate the economy. So that's, that's a really good sign. And the fact that there's 300 that could potentially be in that position is is very strong.
0: Okay, so with with a, a 60 Collins Street, for example, I think one of the conversations in a lot of people's minds has been How does working from home, how does the adaptation to doing meetings, to having team meetings electronically alter the way we use office for existing buildings that you may be providing uh, design strategies for and for future ones that are still to come out of the ground? How is this going to change the way we use office space? And uh, is it going to influence the way businesses approach their, their tendencies and the way that they're designing them?
1: It's an absolutely fascinating time for for, for the office market. And um, there's been a lot of people using their crystal balls to try and predict the future. And uh, there's, you know, with that, there's been some fascinating articles in the press about like the death of open plan office and agile working and things. Now, I've sat in some really interesting calls of our clients uh, over the last few weeks and, and kind of had these conversations. And there's lots of speculation. There are some Major landlords out there thinking that, you know, with the, I mean, guess the hesitance to go towards dense offices, that some tenants may need actually more space in the future um, than they currently take to be able to get their people in and, and still have them at a safe distance apart. There are other, you know, people who are thinking that the, the, the third space providing in the building, you know, the shared meeting rooms and things could be the answer to that additional space. But um, it's very much speculation at the moment. I think we're seeing, obviously, a lot of short-term responses to the opening of buildings. But in terms of that long play, play, I guess, long-term outlook, we are unsure. But, I mean, we personally are. We're doing some research in that at the moment, and we're going to be releasing a paper in the next few weeks on on our views of the world and what the future of office might look like. But by no means are we saying it's a fader complete. Uh, I think at the moment everyone's really trying to work out what's What's the immediate response? And then how might that trans, sort of transition into the future?
0: So what does the, I mean, that's one of the, the, the greatest things about the business like Arup. It's a global business. The knowledge and access to data is very rich. If we go away from opinion and speculation, which is what the market is very full of from buyers, from vendors, from landlords, etc., depending on which side of the fence you sit, you know, what's the data saying to us? You know, and what, what has um, has COVID actually changed anything other than people's opinions and, and physically where we're sitting? And, and what's the data you know, currently telling us for the you know, foreseeable future?
1: I, I think the absolute immediate short-term uh, response is, is how, when, when our offices open back up and our workplaces open back up, how are we going to get people into the buildings and to use the buildings in their current state? Because we, we're running analysis for a number of clients on their lifts and their vertical transportation systems. And with social distancing, it's a fact that it's going to take a very long time to load up buildings, particularly high-rise. You know, um, we, we've done studies where it could take two hours to load a building Uh, in the morning and then two hours to empty it in the afternoon now that's going to have massive impact on business and 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 kind of how you know when your staff arrive and and how they um, get into the building but it also has like fact you know impacts on the day-to-day operation that you're you're not going to be able to just nip out and grab a sandwich at lunch because those lifts are going to be in that same stress situation see this whole reopening of buildings really really interesting we've been doing studies on the kind of impact to the neighbor's energy of buildings and and what it's going to do to the sort of bottom line operating ultimately not occupying the buildings recently is going to have a good impact for energy once we get back to maybe a normal where longer operating hours for tenants because they can't get with their staff in the building at once that's going to have an impact to um, the cost of running etc so they're they're really interesting day-to-day kind of I guess elements and I think that also bleeds into like the wider responsibilities now of landlords in that they're going to have to do a lot more cleaning, a lot more kind of stewarding and shepherding of people around the building to make sure that they do work efficiently and effective, and that's all going to add cost and complexity to the way they operate their buildings. So we've already had approaches from from some landlords with um, requests on you know how they could use maybe smart technologies etc. To, to, to streamline those elements.
0: And what do those smart technologies look like? And have they just been, you know, created out of the blue? Phil, or have they been around for a while, and now our hands being forced to actually utilise them?
1: Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. Like what what maybe six or six months or twelve months ago was seen as kind of a really nice to have and maybe a bit of a a fad of technology. You know, is now becoming maybe something that would be much more viable. Things like you know, we, we're having clients actually talk to us about how would we operate our building in a um, touchless environment? How could we use a, a phone to be able to navigate all the way from the front door through the building and into up to your desk without touching anything? So, you know, senseless uh, lift control, senseless car park operation, you know, senseless security on, on doors, etc., and, and not even touching a handle. You know, so that, that's where we, we are sort of talking about things at the moment. I think some of this is maybe a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to the current situation and, and, and maybe. may relaxed a little but it does really kind of open um i guess the mind up to considering how will our buildings operate when in an environment where you know we're very conscious of germs and contact
0: and that was going to be my next question phil to touch on that if that knee-jerk reaction what are some of the thoughts from the landlords it's like yes we need to adapt yes we need to and conform to these pressures and changes of covid but let's face it covid's not forever It's brought some stuff to the surface about hygiene and cleanliness, but for some landlords, this is a huge cost. And how do they justify Mm -hmm. a huge cost for what could be a very short-lived issue?
1: Absolutely. I mean, one of the events I sat in on last week actually had some really interesting statistics uh, published by um, a company called Brick Lane Property. But they've done some tenant sentiment surveys and, and they've basically seen a real Change in maybe tenants' views on rent reduction and things over the last few months, as, as situations have stabilised, and it's a positive sign to say that less tenants are thinking they need to claim rent reductions. But at the same time, the landlords are under increasing pressure to operate the buildings and keep them clean. And and so again, we've 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 been doing some advice and consultancy around how you could use you know smart sensors in the building, like sensor taps or, or sensor lighting, to actually evaluate where people have been and that way you don't necessarily have to, uh, to clean those areas if you know no one's been in them. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be doing an intensive deep clean on a very regular basis, and that's an expensive exercise. And that goes to a low-tech solutions. I've I'm, I'm actually come into the office today, which is a very novel experience, and I had to break a piece of sellotape on the door so that our staff knew that this room had been used. So um, you know, that's low-tech, but um, it definitely is this impact of how, how can you make sure that you operate and keep things clean and do it in a really f- effective way.
0: In terms of migration and the international picture, and what have you heard from some of your colleagues and has there been any discussion around the fact that our borders are closed at the moment china being one of our major partners and has generated some you know, fantastic growth for this city and the country overall what is the discussion around that at the moment given the current political environment and you know do we see that being short-lived as well or you know what influence do we think that it's going to have
1: I mean the overall economic situation is, is let's say it's way beyond my pay grade but um, absolutely it's weighing on a lot of people's minds. You know the current environment with the lack of tourists, the lack of overseas students and all those elements are having massive effects on our economy. I think there's something like 1.5 million you know, overseas people normally in Australia at any given time and, and obviously they're not here at the moment so they're not spending, they're not renting they're not you know, filling jobs and things. So that's, that's going to have a major Impacts. It's going to be a really interesting long term outlook. I think from our own property perspective, Australia's relatively quick recovery um, is going to hopefully pay us dividends in that we've always been a bit of a a safe haven for investment in property from overseas pension funds and the like, and obviously um, private investors. Hopefully, some of those big institutions continue to see Australia as that favourable market and and, and keep money coming in. At the moment, obviously, there is uncertainty, but um, they're all positive signs to say that you know our market is buoyant and come and spend your money here still. And so let's hope that can continue um, so that we can you know, be one of the first to emerge out of this and, um, and drive forward. I think then the issue is going to always be supply and demand in that we need the tenants to have confidence that they're going to you know, move maybe commercial office and have a good deal and we need people to kind of maybe see more confidence in the residential market and, and, and buy those apartments. What this does, this situation does open up, is some interesting questions around new models like build-to-rent uh, and, and things like that, which are relatively new to Australia, and um, whether they're going to be more viable in a in a post-COVID world where, you know, uh, renters want maybe more security from a big institutional landlord or someone. And you know, are more willing to to go into a development of that type rather than from a mum and dad investor who maybe backs an apartment or something. So um, it's going to be very fascinating to watch. But at the moment, I see it's still a bit of speculation.
0: To you and your team, as a business, Arup has weathered the storm for many years and has grown and continues to grow. What does it look like for you as a team? Are you are you growing in the next six to twelve months because of the, the items that we've just discussed?
1: We are obviously like everyone else in this world. Taking a cautious approach, looking after our, ourselves, and making sure that we keep our staff. But ultimately, you know, we are kind of taking a view that we don't know how long this is going to last, and quite where it's going to go. And so we're trying to make sure that we, we address it in a in a in an educated and you know strategic way, and and make sure that we've um, we keep our, our talent pool there yeah, available for our clients and that, that knowledge base here. So it's uh, very much is a, a, a kind of a wait and see, but we are seeing green shoots. As I mentioned, we've picked up a, a new project just last week, which is a small new commercial development in Melbourne, uh, where a developer owns the site and wants to progress the planning in the next sort of three months, which is fantastic. And we're seeing that after the um, sort of the slower period around Easter, a much increased number of inquiries now about a new projects, which just gives us confidence that, the, that there's there's work out there people are moving on investments and we should hopefully be able to um, ensure our business sort of succeeds in this environment
0: thanks for your time phil and your valuable insights in true auctioneer form we'll finish the conversation off with three calls from today first call there will be changes to the way these big buildings operate for how long we will see the second call The government is pushing through they envisage demand and they're certainly helping some landlords to get construction underway to stimulate confidence in this great city called melbourne our third call despite disruption there are green shoots and that's been the consistent message from a number of our speakers over the last couple of weeks phil once again we thank you for your time and to our listeners we appreciate you joining us on another episode of hammer time a property perspective please don't forget to subscribe to iTunes or Spotify and we look forward to having you tune in to our next episode.